0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I am speaking to the managing editor of M2 Magazine, Andre Ruel, who's going to impart me with his amazing knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> how are you doing, sir?
1: Very good, thank you. Very nice pronunciation of my last name as well. I never yeah. know how to pronounce it, actually, but no, really? it's very nice. It sounds you, you made it sound regal.
0: Regal? Did yes. I pronounce it right, though? Is that the main thing?
1: No, that's good. That's good. That's yeah. good.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I always feel bad if I pronounce a name wrong. It was very good. Yeah. So tell me how you ended up at M2 Magazine.
1: Uh, right. Well, actually, I've been here for about 15 years now. Um, I'd planned to be a panel beater. Um, that was kind of <laughs> well... a, that was the big ambition. Um, but somehow I sold an idea for a screenplay, uh, moved up to Auckland, started working on it, and... It just got one of those things that were shelved when the it was like a, a co-production between Paramount and Silver Screen, and then it kind of got shelved. So uh, there was a, a gig going with a with a brand new magazine that had hit hit the shelves, and uh, a friend of mine started writing for it, and then I started writing for it, and one thing led to another, and uh, then I got sucked into the world of, of publishing.
0: Wow, because that seems very different from writing screenplays. I suppose yeah. writing for a magazine.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I, it kind of is, but it's really it's about storytelling and it's about observation and it's about ideas and it's about um, you know relaying, relaying kind of human. Uh, we, I can feel that we're getting <laughs> going to go on a tangent very quickly. But, That's all good. You know, That's there are. Good. That's what this there is are. For. Certain. <laughs> There are certain universal truths uh, which you kind of you can explore in film and storytelling, and, and and magazines are really beautiful. Kind of fits with my short attention span as well, because you get to kind of see through a concept really quickly and then share it out with an audience. And this was pre-podcast days, of course. Mm. Um, but no, it's been really cool. It's been an, it was never really uh, it, as I say in the career pathway plan for me but it's been an amazing um it's been an amazing journey and the and you would know from your from your podcast experience as well but the people that you get to meet along the way it just opens up a whole new world of thinking and ideas and concepts it's been it's been amazing
0: yeah for sure so how do you how do you condense everything cuz with magazines right you've probably got to fill a certain amount of words or you've only got a limited amount of words to convey a certain article uh you know or opinion piece is yeah that's like- a
1: that, there's a I, I would sound much smarter if I could remember who I'm quoting but there is that old quote about I would have written you a much shorter letter but I didn't have I didn't have the time Is that kind of thing it's it is it does take time to condense things and I think the cool the cool thing as well is that I mean when we got into print what, 15 years ago, people were talking about the death of print then. So obviously, mm. I'm not a very smart person when it comes to business decisions or career pathways. But um, at the same time, we've been growing the digital base as well, which gives us a really cool kind of connection to the audience as well. So that kind of connects with print. Print is very broadcast, but with the digital world, you're getting instant feedback. So you're able to continuously iterate um, you know, you're able to work on the headlines, the cells, the the um, descriptions, and also the content, of course. But I think sometimes it is, um, you know, it's about continuously just kind of working stuff that's not really answering your question, but um, part of it is just experimenting. And then if it's, you know, if it's short form, long form, it's all part of the. It's all part of it, really. And I think also it doesn't necessarily need to be condensed all the time. Like, um, you know, who would have thought that you would have been tuning in to watch uh, Joe Rogan spend three hours talking to talking to a dude while drinking whiskey? and Yeah, pot,
0: well, know? that's it's pretty crazy that he's the most popular podcaster in the world and his podcasts are easily, you know, the length of a, a Peter Jackson film. Uh, yeah. Isn't
1: that <laughs> mind-blowing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how he could talk for that long. I don't know how the guests mm. can talk for that long, but hey, somehow they find a way, so um, that's cool. Yeah,
1: and but maybe there's something in that as well, like the um, you know, and we're talking about the concept of sharing ideas, and but there's something kind of cool about a, a human connection and, you know, ideas bouncing around and kind of evolving and, and growing and, you know, shift in, oh, we were talking before uh, recording, but the the whole concept of echo chambers and that kind of thing, but I think there's something kind of cool about being able to um, be influenced and swayed by ideas as well, and that and you can kind of see that playing out in these in these discussions.
0: Yeah, yeah, it can be a double edged sword, unfortunately, yeah. but but it can be a great thing as well. Hmm. So, without
1: wanting to turn, turn the tables too much, though, can I ask yeah. you how you got into into podcasts?
0: Oh, well, prior to it, I was a musician. So I was a musician. Uh, I did hip hop producing as well. And, you know, I did music videos and visual effects. And this kind of felt like the natural progression from that, because I was kind of getting over it. And I, I already knew quite a few people and I'm a bit of an extrovert. I like talking to people anyway. And so I thought, oh, why don't I just start one? You know, so it kind of went from there. I'm the type of person though that once I get into something, I go 110%. Hence why mm. I'm probably at 58 episodes in, you know, with this yeah. thing.
1: And you <laughs> and you got all the gear as well. It's inspiring.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um I'm I'm always about going hard or going home, you know? So yeah, I built this studio <laughs> here. So this used actually this used to be my garage, actually. And then I subdivided it and then built all of this uh obviously looked into the gear and how much it was going to cost, and yeah, here I am i think this all this stuff here is about a grand just the the uh the mic the the boom shock mount and the and the mm-hmm. mount here yeah it's about a thousand dollars just for that but yeah yeah, it's good stuff do you feel do you feel like
1: you've you've evolved like do you feel like you've Broadens your your thinking based on the interviews oh that yeah
0: I, I i'll give you an example so last year i covered the local elections here in hamilton so i spoke to a lot of local politicians and i don't know that much about politics i just i just don't but obviously when you're getting someone on depending on who the the, the, the type of guest it is uh you might have to do a substantial amount of research so By researching a lot about politics and then speaking to them, I felt like after a month, I was way more clued up on politics from just a month from all the previous years combined. And that's just with political episodes. So most people that I speak to, by the end of it, I'm like, wow, okay, I've learned something amazing here. And I've been doing this for over a year now. And my thoughts on a lot of things have changed views and uh i wouldn't say my morals but i'm a lot more open to things as well i'm not sure if you feel the same after speaking to people
1: mm. would you would you I, you wouldn't would you have t- described yourself as conservative
0: maybe once upon a time uh, uh not so much these days maybe when i was younger but i think that i was very religious when i was younger so and uh, i think the way i was raised and the the environment that i grew up with and i was only exposed to a particular viewpoint and as a result of that i i felt like i probably was more conservative but you don't know what you don't know so if you're a product of your environment a lot of the time i feel and i think by venturing out of that environment you learn a lot more you feel the same
1: yeah and i and i think just as you're talking about that i i'm starting to just kind of circle back to the point of the conversation as well but as media and as uh purveyors of podcasts as well we play a role in in that you know i mean you'll you'll have kids growing up now who who um part of their impression of the world might be guided by the conversations that you're having or. Uh, if they read one of one of my articles, you know that will help open up maybe a porthole into something, so it 's kind of there is a lot of responsibility as well
0: yeah, the, and i I think about that i 'm very, very much aware of that, uh, and I take it quite seriously because I know i won 't use names, but there's some certain individuals in the media space that have a very uh, narrow viewpoint or well, they view things for, through a very narrow lens and they'll give their biased opinions particularly when it comes to politics so they'll be either you know very labor leaning or very national leaning and um you know when you've got an entire audience that's only listening to that point of view that's how you end up with these rigid viewpoints on things and you yeah. see it a lot in in, in places like say america where you can have an entire news channel that's just devoted to a particular core group, and um, the best way to counter that, I think, is to uh, bring those different viewpoints together, so you can have an actual discussion about it. Or being open, or the, particularly the media person who who is uh, speaking to these different people, being open with questions. Like if I if I mm. spoke to a Labour politician and i the way i approached them was different to a national politician then you'd start to see that i'm i might have a a biased viewpoint but i try to treat everyone the same whether i do or not i don't know you'd probably have to ask my audience about that but uh yeah i i do feel that that's very important it weighs heavy on me what is it um with absolute power comes responsibility, or what's the what's the saying? With power comes responsibility. I don't know the exact terminology.
1: You're talking about the Spider-Man Uncle quote. With I think great so, power yeah, comes yeah. great responsibility. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's the one. I knew you'd finish it for me. I couldn't. I couldn't <laughs> quite remember it,
1: but. It is, it is interesting i mean we're getting into a whole like we could spend hours talking about uh echo chambers and american politics and galvanization of audiences and all that that of course of stuff. So, of yeah that's yeah yeah um it's a fascinating space but it's also a frightening space as well and it's becoming harder i think for traditional media to because i mean you are you you have to kind of for a part you're monetized by what the audience wants. So you've got to respond to what the audience wants as well. So it's kind yeah, of a yeah,
0: yeah. That's, right. that's right, you know? that's right. You know, you've got to put food on the table. So if you if you if your viewpoint changes too much, then you might lose that audience and therefore lose your income. So yeah, mm. I suppose sometimes you can almost be trapped in the viewpoint that you have. Just due due to monetary reasons, it's yeah, quite I interesting. Think
1: also, I think also that um, I, I wonder if sometimes we tune in and and you know I as well as creating media, I am a consumer of media as well. And I wonder if sometimes you know if you have an idea or a particular mindset, like you will consume the media that reinforces that, that supports that, the opinions that support and reinforce that, so totally. then it becomes.
0: Totally, totally. I mean, you could easily like, go on Google and type in something that automatically validates what you believe, particularly, you yeah. know, because there's so much information out there, a lot of misinformation as well. Um, mm. Do you have to research a lot before you post an article to make sure that it's 100% accurate?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're very conscious. We're very conscious. We don't always get it right, but I we are, we are very conscious about um, being balanced. But also... Uh, I mean, we're we're an independent, so we do have we have to take a stand sometimes. And one and one area where we take a stand is that we are very, um, you know, tonally we're very optimistic and and also pro business as well. Like I think that um, business has huge opportunity and huge power to be able to um, uh, create social change. Often where government can't, you know. So I I I think sometimes in the media there's the and you know you can see the beat up with landlords and stuff like that at the moment. But I think sometimes um, business is given a bit of a, a hard run by some media. So we're very you know we try to, try to be optimistic. Also, the the negative news stories get a lot of run like that. And, and I think sometimes they become self fulfilling prophecies as well. When you talk about uh, um, uh, recession, uh, consumer sentiment all that sort of stuff that just starts to become a thing. And I'm not saying that you can be oblivious to the realities of the situation, but I think sometimes if you play too often in the negative stuff, then that's where the, your audience will kind of focus on. And I think there's huge, there's huge opportunities out there. And, and even through like one of the, one of the shittiest years <laughs> that, that I can, yeah, that, definitely. I, that I, can, I know, definitely are,
0: agree with you a hundred percent.
1: Um, And I, and, and again, I'm not wanting to uh, paint paint kind of this rose-coloured picture. I think I mixed metaphors there, but um, you know, it's a, it is a very tough time for for a lot of people. But there are still, uh, I think, there are still wonderful opportunities out there. And, and you know, as a country, regardless of whatever your political leanings are, I think we we have done really well, um, and we will. You can see that as well with with our place in the world. I think there are many opportunities to
0: come. I definitely think so. I've spoken to a few people, depending on you know how this continues. I mean New Zealand is in a prime spot, I feel, to take advantage of foreign investment, depending mm-hmm. um, because I believe that you know whether you like Jacinda or not, how she is represented on the international stage. You know, she's, she's widely praised. And I think people look to New Zealand currently and are thinking, wow, they're handling COVID so much better than here. So yeah. it, it creates more opportunity, I feel.
1: Yeah, yeah. That said, as well, I think uh, one thing concerns me a little bit, and that's when, you know, people aren't able to question the government on social media and they aren't you know they aren't able to put a uh, an opinion out about say the handling of the borders without being slammed down and accused of treason i think i think part of it is to have you know we've got <laughs> we have to be be open and, yeah well i think to...
0: yeah i think they need to be held accountable definitely definitely need to be held accountable um, i definitely have a lot of questions hopefully after the election i can speak to some politicians and maybe they'll answer those questions Uh, Mm. but yeah, I, I fully agree. But I mean, I find social media, a bit of a negative headspace. I find if I'm on it too much, then I start to feel a bit down or depressed. It starts to affect my mental health a lot. I've found because Mm. you're absorbing all this negativity all the time. I mean, I don't know about Mm. your newsfeed and what you, what you see, but I know for me, if I'm scrolling through Facebook. 90% 90% of it's negative, someone just complaining or bitching about something and it's like, uh, mm. you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, yeah, I try not to spend too too much time there. But
0: sometimes Good man. It's,
1: sometimes it's hard <laughs> How did so, we get here anyway?
0: <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. So we're, we're, with, um, because how much of a team, how big is your team that you work with?
1: Um, we've actually, uh, we've, we've got probably 14 core, core, core team and then we work with freelancers and, you know, photographers, content creators. Right, that kind right. Of thing. But we've,
0: yeah. Is there a lot of discussion within the team about certain viewpoints? So say, for example, how New Zealand's handled COVID. If you guys, let's yeah. say, hypothetically, if you were to post something in M2 magazine about COVID, would there be a lot of debate in-house first before that would even get written? Or would the person yeah, uh, that's been assigned to it just write it and then that's that?
1: No, no, we would have, uh, we'd have a bit of debate about it. But we, we don't try and – I mean, there's no point uh, kind of playing in the same space. We've got, we've got some, some very large media outlets – here, and they Mm. will cover the same thing. So we try and take a different angle with things as well. So, uh, for instance, we're looking at an article around uh, quantitative easing as exciting as that sounds. But there's some really interesting things there in terms of, um, you know, what are some of the side effects that you don't think about of printing money and what happens to the wealth gap? And um, is national debt actually that bad a concept? You know, we kind of talk about future generations paying paying off 50 billion dollars but you know if we if we really think big and invest what what actually happens like if you go back to Muldoon he was kind of um polarized polarized a word but uh for borrowing a whole lot of money building uh infrastructure building dams that kind of stuff but we actually you know we've had generations where we've been able to to leverage off that and create uh, a whole perception of the New- of New Zealand as being clean and green because we've got all this hydropower and all this, so there's a whole lot of factors in there. So we try and um, try and look at all these elements and and uh, create insight that you don't necessarily see uh, in in other media. So it becomes a little bit more in depth, but uh, but then looking at things from a different from different angles as well. So it's not necessarily taking a quick um, opinion stance on things, but it's actually looking like trying to be impartial, but look look a little bit deeper as well.
0: That's interesting. It's fascinating stuff.
1: That was a whole lot of words. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. But it is it's it's very, very interesting. Because that's something I probably haven't really thought about. Uh so no, that's 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 cool. And how do you decide who who ends up in the magazine? Like if you're doing an article, like how do you decide? So say who's going to be on the front cover. Or if you're going to write a piece uh, uh, an interview with a specific individual, how do you reach those decisions
1: uh, yeah well i really I wish I could say that there was a lot of uh that there was a that there was a big system around it but uh, no, I mean every, every day, and it must be similar to you as well. But every day, you kind of see people doing really cool things in very different sectors and industries, and think, "Wow, that'd be really cool to talk to." Um, so that's that's kind of how we do it. And and the cool thing is as well is that you know we've got regular publications and we've got digital and emailers and that kind of stuff. So there's always an outlet to be able to get across some of those uh, some of those stories and interviews. So it's this this constant kind of thing. But it's really um, yeah, it's a really organic thing probably as opposed to like a systematic decision making process.
0: Right. So there's not someone higher up saying you need to talk to this person. It's more of an organic process and you think, yeah. oh, ah, this this individual, and then you'll go speak to them.
1: Yeah. And yeah. everyone we are not know by, by, by everyone everyone has a story, you know. Everyone's got something to share. But I think we are like going back to the um, by the way, I am mocked in the office for being uh, Mr. Optimistic. Everything's going to be great. And I understand that it well, doesn't always work out that way. But um, but I think I think there are some amazing people in New Zealand doing doing some flipping awesome things across oh, yeah. the
0: whole range. I, so, I agree. Totally agree. I think uh, we're underdogs in a lot of areas. And I think we have a lot to offer. I mean, you think of in terms of what we've achieved on the world stage, Uh, within certain industries uh you know the all blacks you know obviously one of the greatest sports teams of all time people like israel adesanya and the city kickboxing guys you know what they've achieved with mma and even obviously individuals like peter jackson taika waititi in terms of directing film visual effects like weta and that's just stuff i can think off the top of my head so i imagine there's a lot of different industries peter beck he's another one so you know there's a lot of different people out there and a lot of different industries that I think have a lot to offer. I think people just mm. think because, you know, there's only 5 million of us, we're quite limited. But I, I think we can achieve, can achieve a lot mm. on the world stage. It's just giving yeah. that opportunity, right? It's all about. Yeah. That's all it's about.
1: Do you, see, do you see a tall poppy thing? Do you see that from, from oh, your perspective? Yeah.
0: I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> But yeah, Mm. I do see it. I mean, I wouldn't say every single Kiwi is like that, but I definitely know some people who are like that. And usually it's a result of their own insecurities or their own environment. Because for some people, it's very hard for them to get out of their comfort zone and to take a risk. Mm. The fear of the unknown is too much for them. So if they see someone else getting shine, It's, it's almost like an attack on their ego Mm. in some ways. Um, Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't like it. I mean, I try to encourage anyone. I I, I've always got a a sense of appreciation for anyone. That's a risk taker or that's trying something new, whether it fails or not, who cares? You know, at the end of your life, when you get to the end of it, you can look back and be like, well, I tried this. I mean, I try stuff Mm. all the time and, you know, some of it works, some of it doesn't, but at least I know I gave it a go. There's
1: probably a couple of kind of things that you touch on that are, that are, uh, that are important to talk about. But, um, you know, the that's interesting because the concept, if someone else is getting praise, it doesn't necessarily diminish your potential. It's like, like a zero sum game where there's only so much success to go around. Uh, it's a kind of a funny concept. Um, and the other thing is, failure as well i mean it's intrinsically connected to to success as well and i wonder if we need to yeah. uh kind of get our heads around failure a little bit more as well as part of the process you know
0: yeah you look at most i mean i can't think of any individual who's had the success they have had without failing you know at something at some point because the failure you t- you learn a lot from failure. You know, it, it makes you stronger. It can actually drive you. It can teach you patience. Um, and you usually, there's a, a, a good learning lesson there, I feel, from it. And you, and you learn how to adapt and be like, oh, okay, well, I did this wrong. I know how to fix that and adapt going forward. I mean, every I'm not sure about you, but every podcast that I do, and this is just the creative person in me, but every podcast I do when I'm looking at it back, uh, looking back at it, I always critique everything. I'm like, Oh no, I shouldn't have said that or my mannerisms or, you know, I, I said this too much or whatever, you know, but that's just the creative person in me. But by doing that, I get better at it. So I think, I think it's important. Failure is important.
1: Yeah yeah i'm glad i'm glad you do that because you do I find that it very ah oh, i can't i find it very difficult to listen to myself for a start but
0: <laughs> i'm always uh, <laughs> yeah i used to be like that when i first started i was like is that how i sound mm. but you kind of you kind of get used to it over time
1: well that's the whole that's all you know that's and that's what we're talking about with failure as well like the more you keep trying stuff the more you learn from it
0: yeah yeah for sure
1: closer successes hopefully
0: yeah yeah so i was reading about the m2 summit because i've never been to one of these things uh so what actually happens at an m2 summit
1: well it's really like um i was gonna i was gonna say something hopefully funny but uh, but i won't um (laughs) (laughs) uh no it's actually it's just like um it's just like the magazine coming to life, really. So it's just uh, the people that we would interview uh, getting up on stage and either being interviewed in front of an audience or getting up and presenting. Um, and so it's yeah, it's, it's, there's, nothing, there's nothing all that different to the concept of, uh, again, sharing, sharing an idea or sharing someone's journey uh, through print, through digital, or live um, at an event. And uh, it's uh, and it's just in the, in the same way that a magazine is curated, um, we will, you know, we will put together a bit of a rhythm for the day and cover a whole lot of um, whole of different areas. But we'll get people like, um, uh, you know, breathing experts, meditation, because that's kind of part of part of uh, a lot of people's lives these days, and then kind of connect that with the latest uh, technology. So whether someone's developing a cool piece of uh, Bitcoin. Tech, or uh, um, you know, whether it's a satellite thing, um, we'll just kind of merge everything together, and and then also part of that as well is to um, get people connected together, create a bit of a community around that, and then also connect ideas together as well, because often it's from uh, different sectors and different perspectives that new things come. So it's yeah, it's really a whole. A whole lot of things going on at different levels. It's really cool. And the vibe from um from the day is amazing. Like uh, you know, you're there, you're kind of immersed in it's one of those things where it's hard to kind of be distracted by other things happening where you you Mm. just kind of feel like so it's a really good way to immerse yourself in uh some concepts and, and ideas.
0: Is it one day or is it over a period of days?
1: No, we, um, it is, it's a one-day thing. Okay. Uh, we kind of, you know, we've ex- been experimenting a little bit with the, with the timing, but, uh, but we run it all day. So it goes from nine to six with a bit of a cocktail thing and some lunch in between. And, you know, so plenty of time, as I say, to do the, to do the whole looking up at the stage, being immersed in concepts and then going out and networking and uh, hopefully going out and creating new, new opportunities as well.
0: That's cool. Because I I was keen to go, but uh, it's a bit out of my price range at the moment. Is it is it actually uh, happening? Is it actually happening this year due to COVID and yes. everything? It will be happening.
1: Uh, yes, yes. I mean, it's one of those it's one of those things. We've uh, normally we would do six events across M two Woman and M uh, two right. over the year, but unfortunately we've had to had to move things around, kind of kicking the ball across that. Yeah. No, we'll we'll uh, we'll make it we'll make it happen this year. And then the the cool thing is that a lot of that content is available uh, afterwards through through the magazine as well. So you you've got a, you've got an opportunity to um, have have some of those uh, some of those interviews and some of those keynote presentations um, uh, immortalised in print.
0: Mm. Do you have a particular interview, like one person that you've spoken to, or a particular piece that you've written? where you're like this is my magnum opus this is my masterpiece
1: (laughs) uh that's good i mean i enjoy yeah there's probably a couple of things i mean uh probably my favorite interview was with andre agassi um mainly because of the name like if you're growing up in johnsonville in the 80s and 90s having a name like andre um does you do get it does open you up to a little bit of ridicule along the way, but as soon as he came out and he was kicking ass in terms of, um, you know, the Grand Slams, uh, it made Andre cool. So that was that was one thing I was really excited to talk to him about, but also his story and the resilience and, you know, the, again, what we're, we're talking about, that that just constant, that embracing failure and their constant uh, journey. So that was, and then also his failings afterwards as well, like talking about his, um, you know battle with drug addiction and um and working through that as well and then turning his life around and and starting to help others it's kind of there was a whole there's a whole lot in his journey which is really cool so that was a really that was probably one of my most inspiring interviews and then um uh i just i I just get really open with my editors letters too so you know when When dad died, I spoke about that when, uh, uh, when my grandfather, I went to visit him at a rest home and, um, you know, he, he spoke to me about, uh, making the most out of life because you end up here pretty quickly. So that was a moment that kind of hit me. And I, I wrote about that and, uh, I saw someone reading it and they were crying. So it's like, wow, that's really cool. You know, when you, when you really open yourself up and put it out there and you, again, it comes back to that universal truth thing, you know, we're all, we're all dealing with stuff. So it's, it's kind of cool to share that and Mm. hopefully, hopefully, uh, give someone, you know, that connection.
0: I think people really resonate with something that they can relate to. So if they can relate to it on some level, then the impact is so much more i find Mm. so i'd imagine some of those pieces that you've written someone will read that and and be like oh i can relate to this 100 percent." but those those vulnerable moments are are what show everyone that we're all human Mm. i think a lot of people like for example celebrities i think some people sometimes put celebrities on this bit of a a bit of a pedestal almost like a deity or something but then if you speak to some of them which i'm sure you have You realize that they're just normal people. They have the same, you know, tribulations, the same problems, the same successes, the same failures. They go through the same emotions, the happiness, the sadness, the anger. And I think it's important to be reminded of that. So, you, because it's easy to do, even with politicians as well, right? Sometimes it's very hard to separate the politics from the character. Yeah, but it's important. But it's an important thing yeah. to do. Well,
1: that's the thing, and we all, we are all dealing with with stuff as well. I I um, I'm not sure if you've spoken to Vanderson Pears from uh, he runs the combat room down in Wellington. Awesome jujitsu uh, professor. Um, but he has his own podcast as well. But I interviewed him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he went off to live with monks for a while. He was trying to find himself and oh, his wow. pathway in life, and it's talking about how even monks have social anxiety as well. And there's a little bit of office politics along the way. Like at the end of the year, they do an evaluation on terms of how enlightened each other are, is. Really? And, wow. And it's like some of them get really, some of them, yeah, there's a bit of tension sometimes with people who are like, Oh, he, what? he's more enlightened than me. I thought I was more enlightened. And then they don't talk to each other for a while. Uh, so everyone, yeah. Everyone deals with stuff regardless of you know with as you're saying with your a politician a celebrity or a monk
0: That's fascinating because you don't really hear about that in in the monk world, you know mm. they're kind of held up high as the at the top of the at the top of the bar, you know, in terms of enlightenment and being at peace, I suppose, but yeah, 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 so you've done a lot of traveling. I see that you've gone to Antarctica. How mm. was that?
1: Yeah, that was, that was kind of crazy. And again, it links back to the, to the whole editor, edit, editor letter thing as well. We were going into Australia, we were sending, sending magazines and, into um, uh, different airport lounges as well as part of it. And I got a phone call one day um, by a, an Australian entrepreneur who had just happened to uh, hire a boat. Uh, to go into Antarctica and his idea was to get um over 100 Australian entrepreneurs from different areas different sectors together go to the edge of the world and kind of talk about business and the economy and create new opportunities and he said I've I've been reading your, I've been reading your magazine and your editor's letter for uh for a couple of years and I feel like I know you and I want you to come to Antarctica and be a part of this wow I was to, I was racking my brain trying to see if I recognised the voice and if it was a if it was a friend playing a prank, but <laughs> it was it was it was true. So I went along and represented New Zealand. That
0: um, no, was cool. How long was that?
1: Uh, it was fourteen. Yeah, about fourteen days. Uh, all up, so there's a bit of travel to get to. We went from South America and then down the peninsula. But uh, one of the, one of the, I mean, it was amazing. Like it's, it is, it's life-changing, uh, just the sheer beauty, let alone what was happening on the boat. And then, you know, talking about the whole entrepreneurial, uh, different sector thing, but just, just being surrounded by that, I mean, that level of nature. Is, uh, it's profound. Um, penguin shit does smell quite a bit, by the way. That was one thing I wasn't, I wasn't really prepared for. But think its <laughs>
0: Is it worse than cow poo? Yeah, it is.
1: Yeah, it's insane. Like all these penguins just kind of sitting around in their own crap for 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 ages. But um, that was one thing I hadn't expected. But it is just the sheer beauty of it. It is, it is profound, Uh, and it really, yeah. As I say, it's. I mean, it is a cliche to say that it's that it's life changing. But it is a. It is like a a a shift, a shift in perspective when you um, you know, just to... That connection to the planet—it's um, amazing, it's amazing. So that was, yeah, that was cool. But one thing also that was really profound was just being completely isolated from technology, from like no Facebook,
0: no oh, yeah, phone,
1: no nothing. Yeah, yeah. So just like a total, a total digital detox, as they say, which was, which was also quite difficult to get my head around, but but really, uh, yeah really rewarding as well at the same time.
0: Did it get easier over time though? So say the first few yeah. days it was difficult and then after that it got easier?
1: Yeah. 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 One thing, uh, people started going a little bit nutty as well though with the, you know, cause you got the um, depending on the, on the season, but was like very long days. So it'd still be lighter. Well, it was light most of the time. So people kind of started to stay up all hours and, Get out oh, of sync right. and stuff. So that was kind of an interesting psychological experiment too. But then also also just having a whole a whole lot of um, I mean I'm pretty laid back, pretty introverted, but having a whole lot of really extroverted alpha um, entrepreneurs all in the same the same boat together was kind of fascinating as well from a from a psychological observational perspective.
0: So you just sat back and observed? Observed yeah. the alphas and like, hmm, <laughs> yeah. who's going to win this battle? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and it was like that. Yeah, but at the same time, like, really, I, um, uh, I mean, such a cool concept. But, but just, uh, and this goes back to uh, you know what I was saying about the whole magic of like a, an M two summit where you can get a whole lot of different people together in a room and share ideas. But just this concept of being able to talk to someone from. Um, who runs a mining operation uh, and then being able to sit at a table with them and then at the same time, uh, a young, uh, like 20-somethings girl who developed uh, a really cool wardrobe app that was going viral in China and then talking to someone who, at the same time, someone who runs a fishing operation and then just being able to connect um, ideas and insights together. It's kind of really cool, really cool. And... And often, you know, you kind of stuck in your own, like we talk about echo chambers, but the same thing is applicable as well in terms of business and industry. So for them to be able to like, see something new from totally outside is is quite cool. So you could see lots of kind of shifts happening and then people kind of joining together, creating, like joining a part of a tool from this industry with another tool and then creating uh, something something new out of that. I mean, a very um, basic example is um, someone who developed some really cool VR and 3D body scanning technology, joining up with someone who was running a really cool conferencing uh, business. And then so being able to, like very applicable these days, but being able to bring some of the VR kind of world into the the conferencing world so you can go and have virtual meetings. Um, And this was five years ago as well.
0: Do you feel dumb when you meet some of these people? Because you talk to some, some pretty intelligent people and you're like, man, I am yeah, I constantly compared to these people. Yeah. 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 I, I felt like that when I went to um, India because I met a lot of Indian uh, business people and they're just so with it, eh? So with it when it comes to business. So business savvy. And I'm talking to some mm-hmm. of them and I'm like, oh my gosh. I feel mm. so stupid. I better be careful what I say here. <laughs> but that
1: is, yeah. But that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool because it means that you're always kind of pushing yourself, right? I mean, if yeah. you you're always the smartest person in the room, that's probably more of a worry, right?
0: Yeah, that is a valid point. Very, very valid point. Um, I mean, usually I have a process where I'll meet someone. A, a very intelligent person and then I'll probably go through an hour or two hours where I'm just like, Oh man, what have I done? I've achieved nothing compared to this person. And it's, it usually results in two hours. And then my process after that is it motivates me. I get out of that little slump and then it motivates me and I get more ambitious as a result of that. That's usually mm-hmm. my process. So my, my cycle that I go through, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if, if you're the same. Or if you're just like, oh man, you just all all go like you just take all the energy and you're like, yes, I'm going to take what they said and apply it to my own life.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's probably exactly exactly uh, a combination of both of what you're talking about there. You know, it's I mean we're human, so you kind of you're always kind of referencing yourself against other people's success. That's totally natural, but then. Uh, you know, I'm so inspired as well by new ideas and then also looking at opportunities. So it's all, yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly what you're saying.
0: Yeah. If you got the opportunity to go to Mars and interview people on a spaceship going to Mars, would you do it? You so know how you said that? you went to Antarctica. So I'm like, would you, if you got that same opportunity, but with a spaceship going to Mars? Would I, would
1: I be able to come back?
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> if you I mean, couldn't, go, if you couldn't come back, then you wouldn't be Kate.
1: Well, if we now that I have a daughter, it kind of shifts things a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but Probably pre-daughter, I would. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: yeah. Are you quite a spontaneous person, or are you very analytical?
1: Uh, um, no, I'm probably too spontaneous, actually. I wish I was more analytical.
0: Well, that's probably why you're so good at what you do though, because you're spontaneous. If something comes up, you're just like, boom, you can do it. Mm -hmm. I think that, well, it's, it's actually probably a good thing to be a bit of both. If you could be in the middle, I think sometimes if you're too spontaneous, you don't really think about what you're doing and you can get into trouble sometimes. But then if you're too analytical, it can actually stop you. It's like a barrier because you weigh up every single pro and con, and if there's too many cons, then you're not willing to to budge.
1: Yeah. I feel it's, I'm too analytical. It's, it's very kind of you to say that I'm good at what I do, though. Thank you. <laughs> I'll <laughs> well, take that.
0: Well, how long have you been doing it? You wouldn't be able to do what you do if you had um, for as long as you have if you weren't good at it, surely. Mm. You can't tell yeah. me you've been winging it all this time. <laughs> and it's <laughs> no, just a fluke. So- <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I, well, I again, I think. Uh, well, I always had that in, that imposter syndrome that people talk about, but I think that's that's also not a bad thing as well because it keeps you keep pushing yourself and trying to be trying to be better at what you do.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know you have a, a few passion projects when it comes to the Cook Islands. Uh, mm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Kind of it kind of connects to other things that we that we spoke about, but. Um, like a real catalyst for me for a lot of a lot of things uh, was when was when my dad died because it kind of shifts you know you kind of hey I've got to be a proper adult now so you start kind of thinking about legacy a little bit more and and stuff there but um, but it was also the circumstances as well uh, so he was he's he was in the Cook Islands so. Um, I'm a bit of a fruit salad of things, a bit of a mongrel. So I've got Dutch and uh, Welsh and Cook Islands, but um, but I really resonated with uh, with the Raro side and spent a lot of lot of time growing up um, in Raro as a kid. And uh, you know, through that time, seeing a shift. Uh, in the economy and the social kind of fabric as well um and you could see as the economy became more focused on tourism things started changing so uh there was less local production more importing and then that started changing the type of food so everything's kind of linked like the economic focus the social and then the health so um you know, I went from a lot of local production, even a lot of exporting, to a hundred million dollar trade deficit, where they're having like putting everything onto onto tourism, building resorts, and then importing a whole lot of food to feed themselves and the and the tourism. Uh, and the, you know, the type of food started changing, and so that started changing um, people's diets. Uh, and then, and this is very symptomatic across the whole whole, uh, a whole lot of communities and a whole lot of islands, like in um, the nowadays, you've got quarter of the population has type two diabetes in places like Nara, it's 40% of the population. And so really, uh, yeah, and that starts to have really profound, uh, again, social social stuff, like when, uh, you know, when you have uh, men dying in their 50s, uh, you have a totally like people aren't necessarily saving for retirement because there's not necessarily an expectation that you'll get to retirement, so it starts to shift things, and then that opens up a whole lot of stuff about uh, intergenerational um, wealth and uh, or poverty. Um, yeah, but this like this started started seeing this stuff, and then um, you know going through uh, like having to. At one point I had to smuggle fentanyl uh, into into Raro in a meat pack, because uh, my grandmother was allergic to morphine, she could only have fentanyl and the nurses didn't know how to administer that and didn't see a doctor, so I had to learn how to administer fentanyl and I was thinking this is kind of crazy that you know, in a, in one of the New Zealand realms that we have a like we've got health care that's that seems below third world standards in a way. And especially where a couple of blocks away, you can go to a luxury resort and drink cocktails and that kind of thing. And it's a it's kind of a weird, a weird thing. So I started looking at what, you know, I mean, what we could do to shift things. And it's not necessarily, as I was saying before, it's not, sometimes government can do some things, but other times it's. It's, you know, it's it's got to be individuals and it's got to be enterprise and business that also steps up as well and make some, make some changes. So, uh, as I say, for me, that the real shift was when dad died in his 50s from type 2 diabetes. And uh, the, then this time I saw a doctor and the doctor said if he was in New Zealand, I would have been able to save him, but we didn't have the the, the equipment. And then so I started really focusing in on how I could leverage, you know, the family land in Raro, how I could leverage some of the connections uh, that I that I have the privilege of making through the magazine, the incredible scientists that I get to uh, that I get to speak with the cool tech uh, entrepreneurs, uh, just this whole world of capability and um uh, you know as, as I say just just being able to leverage that so I started trying to look at really constructive ways of being able to make some some small shifts that could o- hopefully open things up and uh, one of the things that uh, that I wanted to do was to you know diversify the diversify the the revenue streams for the economy so it wasn't just focused on tourism because then that starts to uh, kind of shift things a little bit and and you've got some of the most fertile land in the world and that's intrinsically connected to you know your identity if you're if you're growing up there so to be able to commercialize that a little bit more and then encourage uh local production so then we started working um with different scientists to look at extraction so uh instead of trying to compete by sending a ton of pawpaw into the into the open market you know what can you extract from that pawpaw to make it easier to transport make it worth more so there's things like enzymes um, which are incredibly valuable and then you add them to another product uh, and then you've got other potential for brand uh, margin as well and the whole origin story thing which is becoming more more valuable these days as well so that that's kind of one one project it's an all non-profit leveraging family land and uh and you know the research and the um, processing that that we're able to leverage for that but the main thing is that it's opening up a pipeline for um, for local entrepreneurs to get their land going and and create you know a, a wider market for them beyond just the local the market so that's that's one thing um and then I was looking at the fishing industry as well and that's you know in, in a lot of places it's very dominated by, Um, very large-scale foreign uh, entities and there's often very little flow through to the local community uh, in terms of uh, whether it's processing employment or any other revenue so and there's also a whole lot of murkiness around what's actually happening um, in the waters in terms of the fish and and the you know the sustainability of that so I started looking at how we could encourage local participation in that and uh, I just couldn't get my head around the numbers couldn't get the numbers to work because at a small scale there's so much money that was going into diesel like having to travel 200 miles here 200 miles here to to look for fish Um, And I I looked at what the skippers were using and it was low resolution sea surface temperature data so just you know because we had been interviewing again people like Peter Beck and Cool uh, scientists using satellite imagery for different things. started wondering if we could start layering different metrics together. So looking at some satellite data, uh, to see where phytoplankton is, or looking at, um, machine learning to pinpoint the difference between bird life and, uh, breaking waves. So, you you know, if you start to layer and phytoplankton bird life, um, even high res optical imagery of, uh, fish movement and that kind of thing, you start to get a much more, uh, uh, you get more insight in terms of where where fish are, so that gives you, starts giving you an edge against the competition. Um, well, those larger, uh, players, so that was one thing, but then we realized that we could use this as well for other insights. And that opens up the whole, uh, world of climate change monitoring and sea level stuff. And so then that turned into a whole other pathway. Um, so it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, it keeps, keeps evolving.
0: Yeah. I think I've just learned more in the last 3 minutes than like wow <laughs> about fishing and oh my gosh I didn't I didn't realize uh, all of all, all of that um I mean I've been to Rarotonga uh and I really really enjoyed it but I wasn't aware that uh all that stuff was happening behind the scenes um do you know do you know how much the country's um been affected well, the islands have been affected by COVID nineteen because obviously they can't rely on tourism now. So I'm yeah. wondering if that will force like a, a paradigm shift in terms of more local stimulation for the economy, as opposed well, yeah. more diversity, I should say.
1: Yeah, it's been devastating, and uh, like for the for the last couple of years, I felt like I'd been banging my head against the brick wall uh, in terms of talking. Because I mean. Um, MFAT will, will give money to give aid to, to like Cook Islands as is a realm, so MFAT will give money to it. Um, but it's, it's often focused on tourism. Uh, and tourism, and, and you know, I got to be careful in terms of in terms of what I say, but tourism has been incredible for uh, for the economy. But my main point is is that you know you have to have a diversified economy. You can't be reliant on one sector. And I think when you're getting up to the like the 90 percent reliance on a the sector, then you, be, you become really vulnerable. Uh, and then I, you know, then you then you you talk about. Um, the, the kind of the social impact when you when you stop producing locally and you stop kind of uh, uh, allowing people to live from uh, the knowledge that's been passed down in the land that again is so connected to their identity i think um, I think that starts to become really dangerous so in answer to your question i think i think I think there's some good and bad. Uh, at this at the time at the, at the moment I think uh, it's I think a lot of people are hurting um, but there will be more focus on on getting some diversity back but what worries me is that um, you know it's going to be very tempting to follow the money and the money at the moment is like mm. seabed seabed mining uh, and so if there's if it's if if the gov- if Pacific island governments become too desperate then it will um, it will force them to make uh, to to go into areas like that, and there's and there's the money there, but I think it needs to be done with, um, you know, an understanding of the long the long term uh, environmental impact as well, because then you I mentioned Nauru before, but you know that, that that there was a lot of a lot of money made from the exploitation and the extraction of uh, their minerals, but it became a point where that ran out and what was left was devastation, and there was no, certainly no tourism.
0: Yeah, well, there's probably a similarity between the Cook Islands and, say, a place like Queenstown, where you've got a majority Mm. of the GDP that's made up from tourism. I think the only good thing in Queenstown's case is at least people in New Zealand can still fly there, so there's some domestic tourism. But that's not the case with the Cook Islands. Do you also feel like a lot of governments think short-term because, you know, they usually only have a certain amount of years. And I mean, I'm not sure how the, the, the system works in the Cook Islands. But I do feel yeah. that a lot of governments think short term as opposed to long term.
1: Yeah. Such a good point. That's such a Yeah. I think I think I think it's very difficult to get away from Uh, to get away from that. That's why I really believe in the power of uh, individuals and enterprises to be able to do things that government can't do. And so this Mm. is really setting up long-term. And, you know, you've got um, a kind of Indigenous perspective as well that is very much focused on uh and generational like a total reverence for uh, ancestors but then a real uh long-term view in terms of future generations which i think is kind of interesting and interesting in a again in a business sense but when you can get uh like pacific island uh businesses coming up with that kind of framework that's really that's interesting in terms of uh you know a long term relationship with the environment, the resources, um, and that stuff is very difficult for government for government to um you know to implement.
0: Yeah, for sure. So are you planning to go to the Cook Islands after all this is over? To do some yeah. more work there? Yeah. Yep. How often do you go? Uh
1: well it's well this year has been hasn't hasn't been, but Obviously, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Norm- normally, it'll be a few times a year.
0: Okay. And do you stay, how long do you stay usually? A couple of weeks? Yep.
1: Yeah. 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 So, we've got a place there. and um, but, uh, but so much of it is really working with, um, uh, I mean, you know, there's different, a lot of the research and scientists are here, um, some, around the, some around the world. So, it's about, you know, kind of most of my work is really, is really, via the phone or Zoom nowadays.
0: Mm, mm. You can't make any of them come with you. Come with me to 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 the islands. Yep. Well, <laughs> sell, yeah, it is a, the... sell it as a holiday, working yeah. holiday. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's the that's the plan.
0: That's cool. I mean, like, I, I that's that's so cool what you're doing. I'm probably next time I go to Rarotonga, I'll probably end up looking at it through a completely different light due to this conversation. Well I don't Which I is don't
1: good. mean to I don't want to taint it at all
0: though. No, 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 of course, of course not. Of course not. But it's it's I think it's just very easy to just get caught up in the whole, wow, Rarotonga tourism paradise, you know, on an island when there's so much more to it. Um yeah. so it's good it's good to be aware of this stuff. And it in in the back of my mind I'll probably be like, Well, wow, I want to support the local economy more while I'm there. Yeah, well,
1: well, it's interesting. I mean, even the, you can see it here as well in terms of supporting the local, supporting New Zealand. I mean, it really, it really grew out at this time. But I think what what I've seen, and again, the Cook Islands for me is only the it's only kind of the seed of the concept because that's where that's where I've got the connection. But I, I think it's applicable uh, in so many communities, and and so I've started kind of thinking. I mean, like even with the satellite stuff, it's it's really about creating. Uh, transparency over an environment and creating data sets that give people the the ability to be able to observe and, and, you know, really work and have a better connection to their environment. But that kind of, like, that power is applicable to so many in, environments. And even in New Zealand, like, you have com- communities with incredible natural resources, but uh, are often, um, you know, commercially uh, just out of sync with... With the rest of the, some of the bigger some of the bigger neighbours, you know. So it's it's nice to, for communities to be able to leverage the resources that they've got and and have some control over that and have some and there's a huge amount of dignity with that as well. So, mm. uh, you know, it's very much a as I say for me, seed is Cook Islands, but it's but it's a universal kind of thing.
0: I think the best countries that'll come out of this whole COVID nineteen things will be the ones that can adapt really, and diversify and not mm. kind of just revert to how they were before, I think. Because I think
1: yeah.
0: some things are definitely going to change once all this is over. I think yeah. there will definitely be a before and after. So, yeah. we're living in uh, a moment in history, that's for sure. Unprecedented times. Yeah, it
1: feels like it. And I try not to, because I'm not an economist, so I'm, I don't well, You're can, an optimist,
0: I'm, not an economist.
1: I'm an optimist, <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I don't know too much about you know the benefits of globalization and that kind of thing. But it's interesting. It's interesting the shift back to maybe some more nuance in terms of uh, smaller trade and supply chains and that kind of thing. It's interesting.
0: Mm. Well, everything is interconnected. That's that's the thing. Everything's interconnected somehow. I mean, I've I've had chats with politicians about it, right? But if you think about it in terms of Every time a politician allocates resources to something, they're taken away from something else, so yeah. everything has a cause and effect so it's it's just going to be interesting um, deciding on where funding gets allocated uh, i don't want yeah. to be I'm glad I'm not the person to make that decision that's for sure
1: yeah but i and, I, and again, you know we'll go back to the the power of small enterprise. But I think there's, I think there's so much opportunity for um, people to start stuff up that, that has a commercial kind of thing to it because it's, so it's sustainable, but then has positive uh, impact socially or environmentally or uh, kind of yep. thing. So I think, I think in a lot of, in a lot of ways we can sit around and we can wait for the government to allocate money and, and do stuff or we can start some stuff and it doesn't need to be big. It can be small, but can still have an impact.
0: Yeah well you're a well known guy so I'm sure you can sway a lot of people, swindle them <laughs> into doing something I'm sure the power of your awesome negotiating skills i'm sure
1: well i well i don't know i mean i'm you've heard me talk for an hour, so you'll know that i'm that I'm not that articulate and I'm clumsy, but I think people are people are drawn to you know a vision and the idea of of being able to be a part of something that, that mm. makes a difference as well, which is really cool, which is really
0: but cool. but I can sense your genuineness, and you are articulate you are i can sense that you're genuine, so mm. yeah, use that definitely use okay, it.
1: thank you <laughs> okay. if, that, if this doesn't <laughs> work tip, i'll get into <laughs>
0: my tip for you the
1: <laughs> if this doesn't work, I'll get into selling cars
0: yeah, well you could could be a salesman, you know that could be your um your other job you know your second hustle maybe i don't know but, well, maybe um, maybe yeah yeah well oh, that's that's well that's probably a good place to wrap up if anyone wants to uh follow all the m2 magazine stuff on social media are you guys on everything twitter facebook instagram yeah yeah yep. all there yeah yep. and it's
1: and m2magazine.co.nz is the is the website or interwoman.co.nz yep. for the for the female version of M2. Yeah.
0: And where does anyone find any of your podcasting stuff or any of your uh, articles? How do they find those?
1: Yeah, so pod, the podcasting stuff is that's all uh, – we've got a page on the website under videos and podcasts. So that's yep. there. And then we've also got a paywall version of – so you can get good old print. Uh, so that's available at the supermarkets mm. and – Good bookstores, um, but we've also um, everything is available on online as well through a, a very uh, a very accessible paywall.
0: Yeah. Do do uh, most of your sales come from digital now as opposed to physical? I'd imagine it. A lot of it's migrated to digital. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: yeah. It'd be about fifty 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 there. It's interesting.
0: Really fifty fifty.
1: Hmm
0: hmm. I'm actually surprised it's not, uh, physical's not lower.
1: Well, no, I mean, physical is still, I I think, like, I really think physical magazines will be around for a long time. And as I say, you know, when we started 15 years ago, people were talking about the death of print, but uh, I think there's a difference between, for a start, there's a difference between newspapers and magazines. Like, one of my proudest moments, by the way, was when I went into an open home. It was a very nice open home. I couldn't afford it, uh, but in the toilet uh, was a stack of M two magazines going back a couple of years, and you know someone had cherished those, and they they had put them in the most important room in the house, and they were they stuck around, and that's the that's the thing. Like, you know, magazines are an experience. You can there's there's no interruption. They're just totally curated, beautiful, beautiful uh, experiences. I think I'm biased, but. You know, I think that, I think well, they are around. good.
0: They are good. I mean I've I've walked into a dairy and you know, places or um even if I'm at an airport, you know, waiting for a flight, you see an M two magazine, you're like, Oh yeah, I'll get that. There's always some interesting cool. intel in there. Some That's inspiring really cool. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, thanks so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Um I'll be keen to do this again at some point. Because I, I know you and I could probably do a five hour podcast easy. <laughs>
1: That'd be cool. We need to, we have to, we have to, uh, once we get this whole level thing sorted, but we have to do it at the table.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Behind for sure. You. For sure. You're based in Auckland, eh? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. My, my, my motherland. My motherland. I'd still be there if houses weren't a million dollars.
1: Oh, that's a whole, that is a yeah, whole, that's whole do, a
0: whole other story. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, that's the show, everyone. Uh, make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And uh, yeah, definitely keep an Andre uh, out. Keep an eye out for um, anything that Andre is doing because he is the man, um, as as you can tell from this podcast. So, yeah, that's the show, everybody. Thanks a lot. Until next time, stay safe.